Father, we thank you that we can be in this place today, that we can seek your face, that you, Father, want to open our eyes so that we can see you. So, Father, I pray that we would have open eyes today to see your face, ears to hear your voice. Father, I pray that at the preaching of your word that you would go forward, Father, and that we would leave today different than we came in. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Well, welcome. If we haven't gotten to meet yet, my name is Stephanie Tennant. I'm the discipleship director here at Regen, also Kyle's wife. And last week at this time, we kind of looked at each other and said, who will still be standing next Sunday? We thought. Um, I'm so thankful for your prayers. I really feel like that's what kept us healthy. And so we got to about Wednesday. We were both kind of like, okay, you start prepping the sermon. I'll start prepping the sermon. And we got to Wednesday, and we were both still healthy. So I said, I would like to do it. And Kyle said, great, go ahead. So... Here we are. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be with you this morning and be preaching. Also excited to not be pregnant. It only feels like 80 degrees instead of 800 up here. So I am super thankful for that. Um, so last week, Kristen in her sermon mentioned how much she hates to get lost. And I can identify with that as well. I mean, I'm of an age where I still remember driving with an atlas. I remember taking my brother to college in Chicago, and my parents missed the exit. And my, my, like, it is like we have just, like, driven into a black hole. Like, where are we? My mom's diving for the atlas, trying to figure out what exit to take next. How do we get back to Moody Bible Institute? Now, the funny thing is, in Chicago, there's exits, like, every, you know, every other block, it feels like. But to my parents from South Dakota, where you can drive for 40 miles without an exit, this was a huge problem. Um, so I, I understand that I've moved a lot, and one of my least favorite things about moving, which I'm going to be experiencing soon, is I hate not knowing how to get to the grocery store, right? Like, you pull out of your house, and you need to go to Target, you need to go to the grocery store, you know exactly which way to turn, where to go, you don't even have to think about it. But when you move to a new place, you have to think about every new place that you go. Now, thankfully, we have Google Maps and Apple Maps, so that helps us get places. It's a lot easier, but sometimes they're even wrong. We were in California one time, we were going to Target, and we uh, followed the Google Maps directions, and we got to the location, and we could see Target, but it was at the top of a mountain, and we were at the bottom. And we could not figure out how to get up to the Target. We had to like use Waze, we had to use a different app to even get to the top. So unless you're super adventurous, it's not fun to feel lost. It's not fun to feel like you don't know where you're going, and it's worse if you don't know what you're looking for on the other end. Right? Like when we go to wedding receptions, I feel like it's, it's always such a toss-up if you've never been there before. Am I looking for a barn? Am I looking for a banquet hall? Am I looking for an industrial space? Right? And as you're driving, you don't even know what to look for. You follow the directions, but you don't even know if you're there for sure or if you've blown past it. And that's, a, that's an uncomfortable feeling. It's, it's not a good feeling. It's one that makes us feel unsettled and unsure. And if you're feeling that way, as you think about the future of Regen, or maybe something that's happening in your own life, maybe there's been a big shift in your life, there's been a diagnosis, or there's been a loss, or there's been a change in job, and you're feeling that unsettled, uncertain feeling, you're not alone. The followers of Jesus knew that exact feeling. And let's turn to John 14 this morning, look at verses 1 through 7. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way 
the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This morning, we're looking at, in the series on who Jesus says he is, we're looking at how Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. As I started prepping this sermon, it was with the assumption that I've had for most of my life that this foundational phrase to our faith was said to the crowds that followed Jesus. I've heard multiple sermons, messages, devotionals about how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I've always walked away with the assumption that this is one of the hard things that he said to the throngs who were following him. In my mind, it was kind of up there with the Sermon on the Mount or alongside the really challenging statements like, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you which is what he says in John 6 when all of a sudden all the crowds decided maybe they weren't so interested in following Jesus after all. To me, this phrase, way, truth, and life, is the kind of phrase that would catch a casual groupie trailing along with Jesus off guard, or a statement that would cause consternation among the Pharisees and the Sadducees, something meant to divide believers and unbelievers and force people to make a decision. It's like the best evangelistic crusade message ever, and I think it was used as one. But let's go back and look at when Jesus made this claim and to whom he made it. In the previous chapter, John 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, exposes Judas' betrayal, and Peter's upcoming denial. And he says in verse 33 to his closest friends, the men who have lived with him, loved him, and followed him for his earthly ministry, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So this is the Last Supper with his closest friends. And after telling them that he's going to be leaving, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Excuse me? Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. I can only imagine their confusion and their concern. Wait, where is he going? I mean, he's saying don't let your hearts be troubled, so obviously something is going to be troubling, right? Like, this is obviously not good news. We don't start good news with, don't be upset, but we all know that, right? He's hinted at leaving before. He's talked about tearing down the temple and all these things, but it sounds more ominous. It sounds more imminent, like it's happening now. When is he coming back? What are they supposed to do while he's gone? As the chosen people of God, they've just endured 400 years of silence before Jesus' arrival. Is that supposed to happen again? How long will it be this time before they hear from him? And Thomas, dear Thomas, who is infamously known for his doubting, which the more cautious among us would prefer to think of him as a critical thinker and good question asker, right? (laughs) I understand where he's coming from. States the obvious. We have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? Right? Peter's like all in. He's like, I will follow you wherever. And Jesus is like, well, by this time tomorrow, you'll have denied me. So calm down. And Thomas is like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but please fill me in so that I can, you know, respond appropriately here. We've all felt this way following Jesus. Maybe it's been phrased as really God or why me? Or why does it have to be this way for this long? Why is this so hard? It's in this moment with these followers who know him better than anywhere else on earth that Jesus responds with the phrase that those of us who grew up with in church know by heart. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
so wait a minute. This isn't an evangelistic message for the masses. This is for his closest friends and followers, the people who knew him better than anyone. It's a much-needed reminder for them that the next season of uncertainty is going to require a lot of them. What's striking to me is that as Jesus is saying this to the crowd of believers, he's trying to prepare them. He's trying to prepare his followers as they enter a time of major transition. Sounds a little familiar, right? This isn't a call for repentance for those in a pluralistic society or a truth claim to a culture that doesn't believe in absolute truth. It's not even a rebuke to a generation that values inclusivity above everything else. It's to followers of Jesus who need to be reminded that when we walk through dark and uncertain times, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. In times of uncertainty and transition, when we're not sure of the next step, we don't need a path, we need a person. The early Christians were known as followers of the way. And in my mind, I've always thought of that as like a discipleship pathway of like as Jesus walked and then the disciples walked, that then people walked behind them and then we walked behind them, right? We walk in the way. We're followers of the way. But as I was preparing this sermon, I, I began to wonder if I was wrong and if actually they were followers of the way with a capital W, a person, that Jesus is the way, that followers of this God-man Jesus who live like Jesus and suffer like Jesus, some of them even dying, all of them dying to themselves, would experience the true life that comes with him for now and all of eternity. It's a call to those who claim to be disciples in times of uncertainty to not just follow Jesus, which is what we usually think of as a way, think of following directions or a path or a person, walking in Jesus' footsteps. It's not that we just need to keep our eyes on Jesus and our ears tuned to his voice, it's that we need to pursue him. Pursue knowing him and becoming more like him. We need to seek the face of God, as we've been talking about this week and in our day of prayer. Following the way isn't searching through the dense overgrowth of our world, trying desperately to find the right path that will lead us to the Father and to heaven. Jesus says that in this passage that if we know him, we know the Father. But the reminder here is that when life gets difficult, when we're literally not sure which way to turn, or what to do next. We already know the way. It's Jesus. And just a word about inclusivity. This verse and this concept is often brought up to show how Christianity isn't inclusive enough. You know, we talk about the one way, the truth, the life. People bristle and say, he's not the only way. There's so many other ways. And I would argue that it's actually the complete opposite. First of all, Jesus is saying this to those who are already following him. He's not speaking to those who are far from him as a reminder that they won't feel lost as long as they pursue him. Secondly, anyone can choose to know and follow Jesus. He came and to seek and to save the lost. He doesn't exclude anyone. He, everybody who wants to be included, everyone who wants to take up their cross and follow them, him is welcome to do so. So in one sense, he's the most inclusive person there is because he's saying, if you want to come, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost but I, I, want, I want to know you, I want you to come, I want you to follow me. And Jesus came and he included tax collectors and prostitutes and criminals and the religious and the outcast. He came and said, follow me, I am the way. I am the way to the Father. I am the way to eternal life. Following the way is an invitation to know Jesus, living like him, dying to ourselves, and being raised to life with him. 
as has been said before in this series, we can't experience the power of resurrection life without death. But Jesus isn't just the way. He is also the truth. This is a striking statement to make to his followers as he prepares for his death and to leave them. In Jesus' day like ours, there were many who claimed to have the truth. In the first century, Jews followed different rabbis or teachers, different sects of Pharisees or Sadducees who claimed to have the right way to God, the one way to God, traveling preachers and, and ministers. And Jesus is reminding them that I'm going away, but I want you to remember that I am the truth, that everything I have said to you is true, that my character is true, and that you can trust me. For us as followers of Jesus today, it's still true. There's social media influencers network news commentators, politicians, morning show hosts, and a multitude of other people who will claim to have the truth. But Jesus is the only one who can claim to be completely true in all that he does and says. And this is something we should take seriously because Jesus thought enough of it to say it to his disciples right before he left them. In times of transition or uncertainty, it's easy to listen to other voices around us. It's easy to get scared. It's easy to get fearful. I've seen Christians turn to everything from horoscopes and zodiac signs to other deconstructing Christians and religious teachers to find their truth. It's easy to get sucked into those things. When something seems to offer certainty, when we feel uncertain, we, we want to gravitate toward that instead of toward that which we know to be true but aren't experiencing in this moment. This week I saw an Instagram influencer, influencer talking about how she is detangling her faith. She's kind of talks about that versus deconstructing. And there were some really good things about what she had to say. She wants to separate who Jesus is from who the church has portrayed him to be in some instances, and the ways people in power have used Jesus to hurt others, which I can completely agree with. But I kept feeling unsettled because there was also kind of a theme of, I want to keep the Jesus that I love and the goodness and the mystery of God. And I, I was wondering how much this detangling is leading her to live more in step with non-Christians or with Jesus. And so as we detangle our faith, as we deconstruct, as we evaluate our lives and our faith, what is it leading us to? Is it leading us to look more like a non-Christian or to look more like Jesus? And I think that that can be confusing in this day and age. We want to be different than the culture around us. We don't necessarily want to be angry. We don't want to have hatred, but we want to look different. We want to be out of step with the culture and in step with Jesus. One of my biggest frustrations is seeing people that I went to Bible college with, so people who have claimed the name of Jesus, they're talking about things that they're going through on social media, loved ones that are having a hard time, and they ask people to send positive vibes, right? Now, first of all, it makes me feel 100 years old because I don't even know what that means. Like, I, and I'm not trying, I just, I'm like, because in my mind, I'm a very concrete person, so in my mind, I'm picturing like people with like sound waves shooting out of their fingers. <laughs> and it makes me think of, Keith has like this bouncy seat, and there's a button with little waves, and it like vibrates the seat and puts him to sleep, right? And so I'm like, okay. In my mind, it's like, are we, do I just want to be kind of like lulled to sleep? Like, like what, what are these positive vibes doing? And how are they making things better? And I, like, and it just, honestly, I, it makes my head kind of explode because I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but here's what I know. I don't want to be lulled to sleep in the midst of uncertainty and difficult times. I do love a good nap, especially if life is hard, but you always got to wake up and it's still going to be there. Here's what I really want, and, and it's scary, and sometimes it makes me scared, but what I really want is for Jesus to come into my life and to turn things upside down. 
I want him to bring healing. I want him to bring conviction to my sin. I want him to transform my life and the lives of those around me. I don't want positive vibes. I want the Savior of the world to come in and make a difference in my life and in my heart because he is truth. I want the truth to come, and I want it to leave a mark even when it hurts, and often it does hurt. Knowing Jesus and acknowledging him as truth should be challenging for all of us. I don't care who you are. As followers of Jesus, it should still be challenging. Jesus said so many hard things about money, our words, our desire for security apart from him, forgiveness, lust, sexuality. If you are a living, breathing human, Jesus said something that's going to step on your toes or cause you to think differently. And if you're on the journey of detangling, make sure that as you detangle, that it isn't giving you permission to live more like non-Christians, but it's calling you to radical repentance and love for Jesus that will not let you stay silent about the truth of who he is, the whole truth. And if you're not sure about that, I want to invite you to go back and read the Gospels again and see what he says. You know, I, I was even saying to Kyle, like, you know, people kind of talk about the red-letter Bibles where the words of Jesus are in red. And I, I wonder when we detangle, where do we start cutting and where do we stop? Because if we take the full weight of what Jesus said, there's so much there for all of us that we need to live into. To live like Jesus is to be called to the conviction of sin and to live differently and to walk differently. And to still live radically, but to speak the truth, the full truth of who he is. It means to take up your cross daily and follow him. Often we are tempted in uncertainty or transition to earnestly seek for a tribe, for a group of people that we can trust and be a part of, where we can find belonging and answers. But we don't need a tribe. We need the truth, Jesus himself. And we can stop pursuing legitimacy in others and instead spend our energy pursuing the Lord. So we don't need a path. We need a person. We don't need legitimacy in others. We need to pursue a Lord. And in this moment of transition uncertainty, Jesus doesn't just call his followers to himself as the way and the truth. He also reminds him, them that he is the life. This world can deceive us into thinking that this is it. This is life. The calendar, the bills, the kids' activities, the household chores, the loneliness, the busyness, the work, the day-after-day -day monotony broken up only by vacations and parties and days off. We can believe the lie that having a beautiful home or a happy family is our greatest achievement. And those aren't bad things. But the life that Jesus offers is so much more. Jesus says that he is the life, and not just life, but life abundant. In John 10.10, Jesus compares himself to the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I would argue that this abundant life starts here on earth when we say yes to Jesus, but that it lasts into eternity. It's a both and a now and then. But Jesus reminds his disciples in this time of tra tra transition, just like he reminds us today, that he is life, and that means there's more to life than just existing. We, like those early disciples, have a call on our life. We exist to make more disciples, whether that be our friends, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors. We are called to share this abundant life with those that the enemy desires to steal everything from. See, friends, this is the problem with this claim, with the truth claim I just talked about. If we don't speak the truth of who Jesus is, we let the enemy win. We let him come in and lie to the people that we love to tell them untruths about themselves, about this world, and about who God is, and we let him win. We let him kill, steal, and destroy. And Jesus has come to say, I am truth, and I come to offer life. 
And that's why we can't stay silent. That's why we can't back down when people challenge us about our faith or when we feel silly about talking about Jesus. It was interesting, even this week, as um, we were talking about praying for our health, um, I woke up at 2 in the morning on Sunday and felt like I was getting sick. Like, I was, I was like, I'm having chills. I was like, here, here we go. Like, it's happening. Like, and I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm going to lay here and I'm going to pray. And actually, I was like singing in my head worship songs because Keith was on this side and Kyle was on the other side. And I just prayed. And I knew a ton of people were praying for us. And I was like, Lord, just, just stop this in its tracks. Like, just stop the sickness. And I woke up two hours later at 4 a.m. and felt fine. Now, I still feel silly telling that to a room of people who follow Jesus. But I felt like the Lord was saying to me, give me credit for what I do. And so even as I texted, like, some friends and family who are kind of Christians, I shared that with them. And I felt uncomfortable. It felt uncomfortable because I'm like, well, what if it was really just I just felt cold and then I was warmer, right? Like, I don't know that God healed me for sure. But I think in those moments, we have that choice to lean in and to share who the Father is to us and to see him work in other people's lives, or to be shut down, and to let the enemy win, to let him take away that which is so precious to us. We are made to live into a kingdom calling that we are created for, because just like the first disciples, we aren't here just to exist and live for the next vacation, party, or purchase. We are here to partner with the Father for the good of our city and our world, that he might be known and made known here and to the ends of the earth. Friends, you have a calling on your life. And for some of you, that has meant going to other places and to other countries and to other parts of the world. For some of you, that has meant faithfully being a witness to Jesus in your home and at work and in the grocery store and to your neighbors. And it takes each of us living into that kingdom calling to see the transformation that we need to see in our world. We don't need to su seek success or satisfaction. We need a savior. In this time of transition and uncertainty here at Regen, and in maybe in your own life, let the words of Jesus ring true, not just in your mind, but in your heart. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. This is something I'm even having to wrestle with in this season, as we have so many unanswered questions and, and so many things that I don't know the answer to. Why is he trustworthy? Why can knowing him keep us from having troubled hearts? Verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Because of Jesus, when the pathway is unclear and we feel adrift, we don't need to seek another path, legitimacy, or success. When we seek Jesus, we will find the Father's face. I'm going to close with this quote from Thomas Akempis. It's from D.A. Carson's uh, commentary, The Gospel According to John. He says this, Follow thou me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the invaluable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life true, life blessed, and life uncreated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to come to live and to die so that we could know you, so that we could seek your face. I pray for those in this room today who have not said yes to you, that you would put a calling on their hearts today that they cannot say no to. 
Father, I pray for those among us who have said yes to you but have realized that they've wandered from the way or the truth of the life, that today, Father, you would call them back to yourself. So I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.